Hello, loopers, and thank you for joining us in our second iteration of Learning to Loop, the computer science education podcast. Today, we'll be discussing how to spread the joy of learning CS internationally. We'll be discussing what Stanford's Nick and Asena McCown, who founded CS Bridge, an international nonprofit designed to bring Stanford's introductory computing experience around the world. I had the good fortune of teaching as part of CS Bridge in Bogota, Colombia, in summer of 2019, one of the three locations CS Bridge was operating in. When Nick spoke at the end of the camp in my time in Colombia, he mentioned how he wants to ensure that talent from anywhere can learn computer science and people can build legendary technology from not just Silicon Valley, but anywhere. Today, we'll discuss the successes and challenges of facilitating the teaching of introductory CS in other nations, a crucial step in realizing this internationalizing goal. This episode was recorded on the campus of Stanford University on July 16th, 2019. Our guests in this iteration are Nick and Asena McKeown, founders and board members of CS Bridge, a nonprofit that aims to spread Stanford's introductory computer science curriculum to other countries. Nick is a professor here at Stanford who researches how to make the internet faster and more accessible and teaches CS144, Stanford's computer networking course. He brings his research into Silicon Valley industry successes as well, currently as the chief scientist at Barefoot Networks. Asena has received her master's degree from Stanford as well in electrical engineering. Please welcome Nick and Asena. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so how did you guys come up with the idea for CS Bridge and how did you get it off the ground? So CS Bridge started about 2014. Um, we were in Turkey, where our center is from, and we were thinking about how could we uh, bring the excitement of programming and computer science, particularly to girls, but also to all young people, girls and boys in Turkey. And um, we were sort of thinking about how to do this. And then we started looking at the CS106A curriculum from Stanford. And it seemed as though this was just a perfectly designed uh, curriculum and very appropriate for for use with uh, high school students in the sort of 16, 17 year old. And so we ran an experiment and that experiment was with just 30 students in the first year and has just steadily grown ever since. Wow. So how did you get Istanbul and Turkey as the first location? <laughs> well, that's because I'm from Turkey and um, I've always had an interest to go back and um, sort of bring what I've learned in the U.S. at Stanford back to Turkey. So we wanted to do something that's education-focused and um, that combines the experience that we have, Nick and I have, and um, brings it to the youth in Turkey. And, you know, as it is in pretty much everywhere in the globe right now, these technologies are pervasive. Everyone has got some kind of, you know, smartphone, all the kids in high school know how to use it. And so they're very familiar with the technology and they're definitely expert users of it. So our idea was, can we turn some of these kids who are using it expertly into creators of the technology that they use? And we knew that there's a lot of online stuff around, but our idea was to bring in specific role models who have studied computer science, who love computer science, who are excited about it, who are um, university students at, at Stanford who, take, who have taken CS106A, and bring them to, to Turkey initially to see how they could work as teachers, but also as role models. 
And one of the things that we realize is that not only the high school students love learning how to code, but they also are really inspired by the role models that they see who are very close to their ages. And that seemed to be um, something that we saw in Turkey and wanted to spread to uh, many other countries. So in terms of spreading, how are you able to take a successful experiment from the start mm. and now get it to a point where we're in three countries, we're teaching in different languages now as well? Uh, how did that process come together? You know, as Asena said, we were really looking for a way to create role models and 106A was just this wonderful starting point. There's a great curriculum, there's got a section leader program where other young students are, who have just recently learned the material themselves are a, able to teach uh, high school students very effectively. And it seemed as though there were a number of countries that would have a similar model to Turkey. So let's think about what makes this work in Turkey. In Turkey, it's a country with an extraordinarily good STEM education system. So high school students have got a very strong background in science, technology, and mathematics. As a consequence, they're very well prepared for learning about computer science, but it doesn't appear on their curriculum. And so very, very few students therefore choose to study computer science at university. And without that student base, there's essentially no software development industry in the country as a whole. So it's a very highly populated country, big users of technology, but no software development industry. And so in a way, the country is missing out. And, and indeed, every year there's about a million new jobs in software development worldwide. Almost none of them are in Turkey. So we were thinking about what other countries have this same in that same situation. Where I'm from in England is actually very much like that too. Very small software development industry, very strong education system. But there are other countries too where we thought this model would apply. One recipe that seems to work well in Turkey is the, the program is hosted by Koch University. The students stay for two weeks in an intensive residential program at the university. And so they're there 24 hours a day and they study nine to five every day in a very intensive uh, situation. And it works really because the university is our host, our champion, and also that they accommodate all of the students. So we were looking for other places where this would work too. And so the, we looked around across Central and Eastern Europe to try and figure out where else would have that similar model. Our second choice was Prague. And so the last year we had the, we held the program for the first time at the Czech Technical University in Prague. We had a hundred high school students drawn from across the Czech Republic and Slovakia. And, um, the, the course was taught in English and, uh, was very, very successful. And so we offered that again this year. In fact, it's running as we speak right now in, in Prague. So having done it in two countries, we realized this model works well if we can find a good host university to partner with. And that's when we uh, got to know Uniendes in, in Bogota, Colombia. And we realized that, that that was a very, very good opportunity as well. Strong STEM education system across Colombia, um, very little software development industry. So a population that's ready for it, a host university with wonderful facilities and great people to work with. And so by going to them and working with them, they were able to attract 100 high school students from all across the country. And so therefore, we were able to sort of establish whether it worked there as well. Now, the difference for us in Central and South America is 
it doesn't really work to teach in English. And so in Colombia, we taught in Spanish. And this was really taking advantage of the fact that there are many students here at Stanford, like you, who are very proficient in English and have the, sorry, in Spanish, I'm sorry, very proficient in Spanish. And so um, uh, are in a position to be able to teach. And then in each of these countries, we team up the Stanford section leaders with local section leaders from the host university. And so this year, for example, in Colombia, we had 10 section leaders, five from Stanford, five from, from Uniandes. And uh, they form a very tight-knit group, um, as, as, uh, as you might imagine, of people who are teaching together, kind of thrown in together. They're not quite sure what the course is going to bring. They've never met these high school students before. And so it ends up as a very intense experience for the section leaders. And Really, the section leader program has become an essential part of CS Bridge. Yes, of course, we want to teach as many high school students in person as we can in different countries. But the section leaders are the key to the scale and growth of this program because not only do they get the benefit and the experience of learning from teaching, there is no better way to learn material than by teaching it, but also they then want to go and teach other people too. They teach their friends, their friends' younger brothers and sisters. They also want to go and teach at other universities. And so they become the key propagation and scaling of the program. And we're looking into, in future, having section leaders who have taught in one program going and teaching in another program. And uh, we've already seen a little bit of this, but we think this is going to be an important part of scaling the whole program. Yes, actually, speaking of scale, sometimes access to quality education seems like a contradiction. It's just like expanding access sometimes can decrease quality. And I know that CS Bridge has a very strong student-teacher ratio and makes sure each section leader has a maximum of 10 students in their section. And so I'm wondering how you plan to balance scaling CS Bridge while maintaining the quality of the program. So I think... One of the things that's very important for the CS Bridge program is not necessarily just the content that we teach. We do believe that a lot of the content is available online to a kid who's interested. The main part of the program, the thing that we really care about, is this connection and the role models that we bring to these students. And to be able to do that, we need that ratio. And the reason we feel like uh, we can expand the program is because Stanford CS106A program is expanding and um, Stanford has a lot of section leaders that have section led before or that are currently section leading. So there's a large pool of section leaders that we can draw from. And as Nick mentioned, one of the things that we do is our model requires that we go to a country and we work with a local partner. And before we uh, sign the agreement with them, we get their commitment that they're also going to provide student teachers. So we provide half the teachers, they provide half the teachers, and these local teachers working together with our section leaders create a very strong um, teaching group, teaching team. And we think that with this way of sort of partnering with the local university and making sure that they're part of the program as well allows us to really expand further. And of course, if we could, we would go and teach every high school student individually in person, right? That would be the ideal. We have one-on-one student-to-teacher ratio. Right. Of course, that's not possible. In fact, we'd do the same at Stanford if we could, but that's just not practical to be able to do it. Now, there's been a lot of success with the online MOOC approach for students who are already very enthusiastic, 
but there's this big middle ground and this is where CS Bridge operates. And that is to try and get as close to an individual experience as we can possibly get. So we always teach with a ratio of 10 high school students to one section leader. And that's essentially the same as Stanford does with freshmen who are taking 106A. And so we've copied that same model and we think it works really, really well. The section leaders get to know the high school students individually. The high school students get to know the section leader. And so there's a bond that in many cases lasts for years afterwards where they've now got a, a mentor, a role model, and they can then continue to learn with the inspiration that they received from that section leader. Another thing that happens is that as the local section leaders and the program, as the local section leaders get more experience and the program gets older and more settled in, the local section leader ratio is actually higher. So in Turkey, every year we teach 200 students. So we need 20 section leaders. And this year, 18 of those section leaders were actually from Turkey. And we only had two section leaders from Stanford. So that's sort of the evolution as well. As you train the local university section leaders, you create a team that's experienced locally, and then they can train the new section leaders that join in. And one of the things that really surprised us last year, and it was a wonderful thing to, to learn, that the local section leaders in Turkey who had been teaching this for several years had become so enthusiastic about it that they'd taken the material and they were teaching it to other local high schools right. on their own. Right. Perhaps there were high school they went to or the ones that right. are in the area. It's incredible. And, and, and this kind of scaling is what it's all about, right? Because we can't possibly go and reach out to all the millions or billions of people who would be appropriate for learning this material. But through the section leaders, we can reach many, many more than we could otherwise. So is the goal of creating different centers in the world to essentially allow places like Turkey and Prague and Bogota to be able to teach this program by themselves? Or is it designed more to be a collaborative effort with Stanford? For now, we would like to keep it as a collaborative effort. We don't really know what the future brings, but um, for now, we think there's great value to that collaboration. Of course, as much as the local university becomes familiar with how Stanford works, we become familiar with how they work. And so the program so far has been tailored with their help to each individual country. This could be down to the assignments that the students do. So, for example, in, in, in Turkey, they're, they're often related to sort of Turkish uh, uh, cultural stories. And the same thing in Prague and the same thing in Bogota. But also, on, on top of that, there are the, the, the familiarity with English varies from country to country. In some countries, there's great proficiency amongst high school students in both listening to and understanding and speaking English, and in other countries, much less so. And so we have to adapt the way in which we teach to, uh, to each different country. Um, so how this evolves over time really remains to be seen. And so we're keeping an open open mind about it. But I think that having the involvement of two universities, Stanford and a host university, this seems to be a winning model because it has the, the benefit of being a magnet and a sort of an attract, uh, very attractive to the high school students in the host countries. There's the local university that they know and would like to learn more about. There's the Stanford name brand. And the two of those together means that many, of, many high school students want to come and take the course. So have you seen any big fundamental differences in teaching in all of these different locations around the world? So, so far we've done it in three countries, 
And what we realized is once we set the program going at Koch University in Istanbul, there was actually very little to do. They love the program. They do a lot of the logistics. They recruit the students from all across Turkey. So once you set the program going and set some rules and expectations around what it needs to look like, if the local university is really invested in the program, then they really take ownership of it, leaving us with the resources to continue looking for new universities. Um, as the program becomes more well-known, we're receiving a lot more requests from different parts of the world to have us um, host the program in their specific country, in their specific universities. So I've had numerous conversations this year for um, from different universities who wants to who want to be the hosts. So what we have discovered is that you know once you have a good model and set the expectations correctly and set the program going, maintenance of the program is actually uh, relatively easy. And because you've done it so many times, the model, the process, uh, really works well in at the Stanford side as we select the section leaders and prepare them for the program. And then locally, once you do it one time, the universities are so interested in it and they see the learning process that they become incredibly good and strong partners. And what we realized in, for example, in the Uniandes case this case, this time is that, um, you know, the facilities were um, extremely suitable. There was a very nice big lecture room. So once we set our requirements, it seems to be um, very easy to sort of multiply that process in different countries. In terms of differences, I think... Um, we haven't seen any sort of um, very specific things that um, that I can think about. I mean, I think given that we're working in academic environments, we're seeing a lot of just very dedicated teachers, and we're seeing that all across. We've seen that in Istanbul, we've seen that in uh, Prague, we've seen that in Bogota. So we're seeing a lot more similarities than differences, I would say. And, you know, probably the, the, the biggest difference is uh, English familiarity and whether or not it makes sense to teach in English. In the first two countries, we taught in, in Turkey and in Prague, we taught in, uh, in, in English. And uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to explore this as we go as to what seems most appropriate in other, other countries. And as we, as we expand to other countries, then, you know, there are some things that we're, we're looking for in terms of the state of STEM education within the country, the likelihood that a host university is going to be able to host and accommodate the students for the duration of the course, that there'll be a magnet that will attract those, the, the high school students to come and take part in the course. But also looking forward, is it a country for which there is a great need for an, an increase and an expansion in software development. So, for example, it probably doesn't make sense to offer the course in China or India, very established software development uh, uh, industries, a wonderful education system that, that, that points people and encourages students to go into, into computer science. And so, really, there's not much difference that we can make in huge countries that are already making great strides forward, and probably relatively few strides forward that we can help with in the U.S., although we'd love to explore opportunities to, to, to do so. So we're really looking for countries where we can make a difference. And 
go and teach high school students who might otherwise not have such an opportunity and show them that it's so exciting and fun to learn how to program. They may or may not choose to make a career out of it, but at least it will become a tool in their toolbox, something that they've had experience with and something they're familiar with in future. So as we've talked about, one of the big ways you've been trying to make a difference this year is teaching CS Bridge in Bogota, which is a non-English speaking location. And I've had the good fortune of teaching in Bogota this summer with CS Bridge. And I wanted to know why CS Bridge really wanted to teach in another language. And also a lot of the challenges globally involved with teaching programming in a different language when a lot of the documentation and a lot of the things involved with learning programming right now is very tied to the English language. There were really two parts to this. One is that um, so much of programming is done in English that in many ways it, pro it creates a barrier to non-English speaking high school students, students, people in countries where right. there isn't so much familiarity with English. And so we wanted to really explore whether we can bring the material in another country bring proficient section leaders who were, 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 were proficient in, in Spanish. And so in a, in a way for us, it was an experiment. And I think it was a tremendous success. Thank you for your help and your role in that. Um, it was uh, it was really eye-opening for me. I am not a Spanish speaker, and so it was particularly interesting <laughs> and challenging for, for me. But sort of just observing in the room um, that... You know, of course, we could have insisted that everything be in English and that the, you know, all the assignments would be in English. It would have meant there would be fewer students in the room. There would be fewer for whom this was accessible. And the, frankly, the students who, who would have been able to come would be the ones who already had the benefit of an education that included a lot of English. And so they're more likely to have been to a private school. And so, you know, yes, of course, we don't want to preclude students who have been to private schools, but we want to make sure that the, that the course is open and encourages and, and there's an opportunity for people through, from throughout the country. Any high school student should be able to come if they are interested in computer science and if they have the background in mathematics in order to be able to do the sort of the logical exercises. And that's going to be a very large fraction of the population. So we would like to reach out to as many people. And so offering it in different languages then becomes an important part of that exercise. And although officially the course we run in Turkey is not run in Turkish, we do have a lecturer that is a local lecturer. So in fact, half of all the lectures provided are in Turkish. And uh, if you get a Turkish section leader from Koç University, all of that section is led in Turkish. So students who, whose English isn't that great, they can sort of understand the lecture, but they'd love someone to sort of explain it again in Turkish, also get that benefit. So we feel like we can make such faster progress with kids who, whose English is just enough, um, but sort of get that reinforcement in their own language, in their native language, through their local section leaders. So with a global nonprofit like you have, an important aspect of sustainable, high-quality education is addressing who will pay for it. And I'm wondering how CS Bridge plans to fund itself going forward. So right now, CS Bridge is funded by Asena and myself. So we set up a, a foundation to... Uh, to fund it for, through the first few years. And um, we're at the point now where we feel as though we have a very good model 
And uh, although it's run very much in collaboration with Stanford, it's not really an, of, an official Stanford program at this point. We think that it would benefit greatly from becoming an official Stanford program, and that would allow us to bring many of the wonderful additional resources from Stanford, uh, get input from many of our colleagues, and it would allow us to go out and ask for funding from government and from other sponsors in order to help us expand the program into other countries. And our goal is, over the next few years, to add one more country each year. We don't know how far that goes. We think we'll kind of know when we've got as far as we can, we can expand to here. Our guess is that it's somewhere around 10 different universities in any one, in any one summer. And that's really limited by the number of lecturers and the number of section leaders and by our own sort of capacity to, to be able to do this. Um, and so we hope that that will happen over the next few years as an official Stanford program. We also think that part of growth and scaling will be working with partner universities, whether in the U.S. or other countries, who are also interested in perhaps taking and adapting our model or using parts of it and then adding their own perspective in order to be able to take this model to other countries as well. Our interest is just really in being able to scale to as many high school students as possible to show them how exciting it is to program and to give them an opportunity they might not otherwise have. Can you give us listeners an example of a student who has had doors open through CS Bridge and has excelled? Do you know Sahat? Aslan. He's a PhD student, EE PhD student in my group. Okay. He's from Koch University. And we met him because he was a section leader while he was an undergraduate at Koch. So we got to know him. And so then I realized how you know, interested he was in doing a PhD here. And so sort of encouraged him to apply. And now he's in the PhD program here. And wow. then he just went back as a section leader to Koch this summer again. But now as a PhD student from here, that's... Uh, yeah, it's amazing. So how do you see CS Bridge changing in the future as computer science education continues to grow worldwide? So right now, the model seems to work very, very well. We take high school students who have had no prior programming experience. In fact, the only prerequisite that we have is that they know how to switch on their computer. And uh, the Stanford CS106A model does exactly the same thing. This works great today. So it begs the question, uh, several questions, actually. One is, what does a student do after they've taken this program? How do we know that it's been successful? So one of the measures of success for us is the future engagement that the students have with programming, with computer science. So one metric is, do they go on and study computer science at university? And we keep track of this, and indeed, quite a few students have already done so. Some come in thinking they would, program, they, would, they would study something else at university. They become inspired and say, oh, I love this. This is what I want to go on and study. Others stay engaged by perhaps they just write programs on their own. Perhaps they teach some of their friends. And so they stay engaged in a more informal way. But it's growing their sort of confidence and their familiarity with it such that they could pick it up later in life. What we have not done yet is introduce a second follow-on class like a university would do. So we're not sure yet whether this makes sense, because perhaps the best thing for them to do is to get that learning at a university. So they would start with 106A when they're, or CS Bridge when they're in high school, and this would inspire them to go on and study later. So we're keeping an open mind as to whether such an intermediate level class is, uh, is something that we should do. 
Longer term, we hope that worldwide, much of this material gets naturally incorporated into high school curricula. And of course, that will happen to different degrees in different countries and at different times. So some countries, like the US, has a very ambitious program in order to introduce computer science into the curriculum earlier. And other countries, there are other countries that are following suit. And hopefully we can be of assistance in providing some of this material that they can then adopt and use. And we would be delighted to help them do that. There'll be other countries for which they will get to that later. And so we can be more useful in helping establish CS Bridge more broadly in some countries. So there may be some countries in which we start to offer it in multiple locations where we think it's particularly useful in seeding and catalyzing the learning of computer science and eventually a software development industry. So we're keeping a close eye on this and we're trying to sort of monitor and it will vary from country to country. And so as we gain experience, we hope to learn how to be most effective in different countries. Thank you so much for appearing on the podcast today. It was very wonderful. Really appreciate it, Nick and Senna. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. CS Bridge will continue this summer in 2020 in three to four locations once again, with the chance to expand into Kenya. Thanks again, Nick and Asena, for sharing with us. And thanks to you for being a looper. Thank you for tuning in. Keep learning. And we hope you stay in the loop.